USA Olympic hockey team head coach Herb Brooks said this to his team before they faced the Soviets in the 1980 Olympic semifinal game. You were born to be a player. You were meant to be here. This moment is yours. Mikey Ruzioni listened along with his teammates. And if there's one person that personifies those words by Herb Brooks, it's my guest today on Great Day Nation. Mike, welcome, and it never gets old talking about Lake Placid in 1980, but but yeah. before we do, I want to get your take on the Winter Olympics going on right now in Beijing. For the U.S. hockey team, this was supposed to be a tournament full of NHL talent with the accompanying attention and prestige, an American team led by Austin Matthews facing a Canadian team led by Connor McDavid with a German team featuring Leon Dreisaitl and a Russian team with Alex Ovechkin. You know, marquee stuff. Yet here we are, and the USA is gone in the quarterfinals. What happened, Mike, to the U.S. team? And it reminds me a little bit of you guys back in 80, a bunch of, of great amateur players, not the help of a lot of pros. Here we are again in Beijing. And, yeah, it was, uh, it, yeah. was, uh, it, it was frustrating. Um you know, it's funny, I, I picked up the Boston newspaper this morning and there was a quote from the head coach, David Quinn, uh, who's a good friend of mine and coached actually at Boston University. Mm -hmm. uh, he said they, they didn't lose a game and they're out of the tournament. Uh, no, they they're 3-0, and oh, right? They were 3-0 and oh going in. They lost in a shootout. They didn't lose a game. Um, that, you know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the shootout. I think they should just play until somebody wins. But it was, it was a good young hockey team that just um, – couldn't get the job done. I think it just tells you how hard it is to win that tournament. And I know, you know, the pros aren't there, although all the European players are basically pros who play professionally in Europe. The U.S. team, as well as probably Canada, had, Canada had the most amateurs, if you want to call it. I think we had five, uh, 15, rather 15 college players on this particular team. And we were good. We were talented. We had some skill. But, you know, it's just, uh, you know, maybe the nerves in the shootout. You know, you got young players. They've never been there before. But, um, you know, I'm proud of the way they played. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't work out for them. But um, it just shows the depth that we have. I mean, it would have been great to see Austin Matthews and, you know, some of the great American players that we have uh, from the pro ranks. But we still have enough depth out there in, in this country to be able to put a decent team on the ice, which we were able to see. Yeah. How, how involved are you with U.S. hockey? I know that you've reached out to them on several occasions, and it seems like a layup to me. To, to, to use the resources and the experience that not only you've had, but some of these other guys that have been there and done that. Yeah, some of them, I'm, I'm not really involved that much in it. Um, uh, you know, some of my teammates have been involved because they, they you know, they're out in the Minnesota, some coaching college hockey, so they have a sense of, of, of the players that are out there. Yeah. Um, I'm just a loyal supporter and a loyal fan. Uh, obviously, not only our men's team, I, I stayed up all night last night and watched the women play, and that was a frustrating game for them to see them lose three to two, but Again, it was a great game. Canada is a great rivalry, and um, you know we've got some great players out there. So I, I follow hockey quite a bit. Uh, probably the college ranks more than than the the pro ranks. Uh, I stopped watching NHL hockey once the playoffs start because that to me is the best tournament to and the hardest oh, tournament to win in in sport. So uh, again, I look at the depth of the hockey players that we have in the United States. Uh, the NHL players. The thing that is amazing to me over the years is where they're where they're coming from, uh, you know, in, in the 80s and the 70s, you were from Minnesota, Michigan, and Massachusetts. 
Now you look at this team here. They had guys from Texas, guys from Florida, guys from Arizona, guys from California. Mm-hmm. So the sport is growing, and we're getting better and better. And it's unfortunate that the pros weren't there this year because uh, I think we would have had an awfully good hockey team uh, that had a chance to take a good run at it. But, you know, COVID and the situation that's going on in this country, we sent a different team, but yet they were competitive, and that's what you want to see. Yeah, and I would imagine the owners probably looked and said, listen, we got 80-some games that we got to try to sell tickets to here. Right. We were already taking that beating here with COVID. Yeah. And do I send my guys to Beijing and lose more revenue? Or do we play the games and make up the games that were lost to COVID, right? Yeah, I think, I've said this before, I think they should move the hockey to the summer Olympics and not the winter huh? Olympics. And now you have these players that would be available in the summer. You wouldn't have to shut your season down at all. Uh, players mm. practice for a, you know for a little while before the games instead of just you know going over and competing. Uh, I don't think the international international Olympic Committee would ever allow that. And they wouldn't have to shut their season down at all. Um, players could continue to play, uh, and, and you know if somebody had a nagging injury, well, they get the rest of the summer to get healthy and and come back and play in the in the fall. So. Uh, it'll never happen, but it would be interesting to see if they would think of something like that. They would have to play on grass or something. I don't know what. The- <laughs> they can put, put rinks out there. Yeah, that's true. An outdoor hockey game that's been done many times before, and that's a crowd pleaser, no question. But were you disappointed in the owners, or were you okay with the NHL guys not going? No, I was okay with it. I I, I could totally understand, and I know it was disappointing. You heard Sidney Crosby talk about it, Connor McDavid. And- uh, the great thing is, the, I don't know if people in this country realize, but our pros want to be there. Uh, yeah. It's an honor to to represent your country, and they get it. They want to be a yeah. part of that. They want that Olympic experience. So I know they were frustrated, but I could understand it with with COVID. And you know, all of a sudden somebody gets you know COVID over there. Now they got a quarantine over there. And then you know, who wants a quarantine in China and 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 have that issue that you have to deal with. Plus, like you said, you know, the games that they were going to be losing revenue wise. Yeah. Uh, it just didn't make sense. So big picture, how close are we? How close is USA Hockey now, the program, to competing on a consistent basis with, oh, with Team Canada? I mean, absolutely. it's lo- loaded every single year, though. We, 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 we would have gone in as possibly one of the favorites. Um, we've got some great young players that play now. And, and the other thing, we've got solid goaltending. We've got great goalies, American goalies, uh, you know, playing in the National Hockey League. So we're we would sol- we're solid. We, we, it would have been fun to watch these players play and. I guess the good thing is the, the the top players, the best players, are still young enough, where you know they'll be available to play in four more years. Uh, where you know some of the some of the older players, like Ana Ovechkin and uh, uh, Patrice Bergeron, and you know maybe even a Sidney Crosby, four more years from now, what what you know what their game going to be like? Although they're great players mm-hmm. now, I don't see why it'll drop off a little. But you know our best players are our 19, 20, 21 year old players that uh, would have really been fun to watch. So let me get you, you, you just mentioned a, a really some legendary players. And, you know, once the NHL players are allowed to participate in international competition again, which it's going to happen, right? Who, who, who do you think is the best American hockey player today and why? Do you have a guy that you go, man, this guy? Yeah. It, you know, I, I think you got to say Austin Matthews. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. look at the numbers he's put up. Uh, he's so, he's so talented. Um and then, you know, you, you look at a guy, and I'm biased because he's in Boston, but a guy like Charlie McAvoy, uh, he's a great defenseman. He's going to be – he's going to win a Norris Trophy someday. Uh, he's really talented. Uh, but we've got an abundance of players. I mean, and they keep coming up. You saw five 
Five guys that played in, you know, that were big parts of this year's Olympic team were only 19 years old. Where are they going to be in four years? So, you know, the depth is there. Uh, and, and there's no reason why we don't go into any tournament, um, whether it's amateurs or professionals, mm-hmm. chance to win a gold medal. We're, we're one of the favorites. The World Juniors this year, we were one of the favorites. So we keep producing players. So we're not we're not taking a backseat to anybody anymore. We're, we're not going to surprise anyone. We go into a tournament right now expecting to win a medal. I look at your life, Mike, and your, your, the, where you came from in Boston, Winthrop. Uh, a little, you know, kind of juts out into the Atlantic Ocean, and you're you're looking straight down at Logan Airport, <laughs> depending on where you live in Winthrop, right? Yeah. yeah, I can. I'm surprised the planes aren't flying over right now. Yeah. <laughs> and you grew up blue collar. Your dad was a bartender. He also, uh, you know, he had several jobs, but it was blue collar in nature. And you talked. I've read many things, and when I spend time with you, I just get this feeling that. At the center of it all, Mike, in in your family and with you, was this notion of you're going to get rewarded when you have dreams and you work your ass off. When you work, you work, you put in the work. Eventually, and you have patience and you have the dream, it's going to come. And it sure did come for you, not the conventional way, perhaps, but through Winthrop uh, and Boston University, of course, Talk to me about your upbringing. Talk to me about how that that has molded you and be, that you've become that that person. Well, you know, it obviously starts with my family. Uh, I, you know, my my dad worked three jobs. My mother stayed home and took care of six kids. Um, and my fa- my dad told me when I was young, he he said to me one day, he said, "If you understand the value of work, you will be successful." And it might yeah. not be today. Or next month or next year, but when you're the best at what you do, it'll be the time and effort and work that you put in. So those were values that were instilled in me. Uh, I, I don't know if you know, I wrote I wrote a book called The Making yeah. of a Miracle, yes. and I talk about my life. Um, I wrote the book for one reason. I have six grandkids now, and I want mm. my grandkids to know that Papa's life wasn't one game, one goal, one moment. I want my grandkids to know about their great-grandmother and great-grandfather. I want them to know about their aunts and uncles and cousins. I, I grew up in a three-family house. Uh, my, my mother's brother lived upstairs. My father's sister married my mother's brother. Hmm. My father's other sister lived on the first floor. Hmm. There were 15 kids in the house that I grew up in. Um, sports and, and work ethic was a big part of our family, a love and commitment and respect, values that our parents taught us that are important in life, not just sports. And, you know, I lived three houses from the house I grew up in. My daughter lives down the street. My son just bought the house behind me. My cousin lives next door. His son lives next door to him. It's unbelievable. <laughs> It's kind of crazy. There's, Winter's got about 18,000 people that live here, and I think 180 of them are relatives of mine or my wife's family. So uh, family is important, and I think that those are the values that were instilled in me at a young age. Yeah. That I think carried me um, athletically. Uh, you know, I was, a, I was a football player in high school, and that was my passion Mm-hmm. And I probably played more baseball in my life than, than anything. Hockey was something you did in the wintertime. But sports and competition and, you know, that's, that's how we grew up in that house. We were always playing something. Uh, yeah. Like today, there were no video games. Thank <laughs> we God. Didn't, we, we didn't <laughs> yeah. have a television in my house till I was 12, 12 years old, at least in my apartment. My uncle had one upstairs. So you you played. You competed. You, you played sports. and. I think that's part of the reason things have worked out well for me is 
not not so much not only the athletic side of it, but life in general. I think the lessons you learn growing up in a family like that, you you understand how important friendships are and how important family is. I agree with you. And I think when in, in these I keep talking about defining moments in life. And sometimes when we're young, we don't know when they come because we just we just don't know what we don't know at the time. But you know what I mean? Um, and sometimes it's chance it takes you there. And, you you know, your name is now on the building uh, in, in Winthrop, which is a beautiful thing. And that's that's a that's a matter of great pride, I would imagine, for you. Well, it's funny, Morton. They, they they named the rink after me in my hometown. My three grandsons that live here, they, that live down the street, they're nine, eight, and seven, and they skate at the Mike Ruzioni Center. Mm. They don't know who Mike Ruzioni is. Still don't? You haven't told them? It's, the nine-year-old nine said to me the other day he wants to watch Miracle. So they're starting to get it, but up until maybe the last year, they had no idea who, who I was. I think we should we should maybe open a cold one and and it's time to debrief the grandkids on this thing, man. <laughs> I'll have to open a bottle of red. Yeah, is this is this on purpose that you haven't told them? I don't know if I would have kept that secret. Yeah, no, it's it's you know it, it, even with my own children, you know my my two boys were pretty good athletes and they played and I always told them from day one what I did is what I did, what, what you do is what you do. Yeah, and I, I never expected them to be, uh, you know. NHL players or NFL players, uh, and they were very, very good athletes in high school. Both of them were outstanding student athlete in our high school. But I expected them to be good kids, good brothers, good neighbors, good friends, good teammates. Those are important values. Sure. I, I don't expect them to hit home runs and get three goals a game. No. I expect them to work hard. I expect them to do the right things. And I think I, that's kind of with my grandkids. I want them to be able to establish who they are because of who they are and not because Papa did what he did. Um, I get it. I, I told my daughter, I don't care if my grandkids play hockey, but, you know, if they want to, and she got them skating and they love it. I have, you know, I think I told you, I have a little rink right over to the corner of my yard here. It's, and uh, they may come over and skate today or, or they'll skate over the weekend, but they like it and it's fun. And and that's how it, that's what it is for me to have them involved in sports and have fun, but have their own identity. Uh, they'll hear it from somebody. It's some coach is going to say, do you know who your grandfather was or who your grandfather is? And, at some point, they'll understand it, but right now it's important for them to, to be who they are. Here's a way you could set it up with your grandkids, Mike. Follow my logic here. You get them on your ice right there in the yard. You set up the winning goal to beat the Soviets four to three. Put on some, give them some Russian jerseys, <laughs> some Soviet jerseys with CCRP, and then reenact the whole thing. What do you think? Well, the problem with that is I would have to get ice skates on. <laughs> what do you mean? That's sort of no brainer. I, I'd prefer I'd prefer to play golf than, than ice skate. So I'll come down to Atlanta. Come down to Atlanta, buddy. <laughs> well, you have a lot. That's we've yeah we've yes, hung we've, out a lot. In it. We've a lot had of, hung out a, a lot, lot of good, good times together. A lot of good times, and I know I digressed a little bit, but it's okay. We'll come back to. I want to start with BU, but. I remember a time you and I were at the Goofy Games together, and I think it's okay to tell the story because this is so long ago. It's got to be 35 years ago. Oh, absolutely. It was at your height. I mean, it was literally not that you're not a popular and well-known brand right now, but it was, I want to say, mid-'80s. We're at the Goofy Games, which was this big to-do at Disney World in Orlando, and you and I happened to have rooms next to each other. 
And I remember being in my room, and for some reason, you decided not to use the door. I just saw this fist come through the wall, <laughs> and MDF went flying everywhere on my bed. I was like, well, here's Mike, man. I, I almost <laughs> felt like, you know, here's Johnny, and, and I was going to see Jack Nicholson come through there in The Shining. <laughs> I don't I, know if you remember this, Mike. I remember, remember that. I remember that. Um, we, we had so much fun at those goofy games. But it was it. Was, <laughs> you'd go there for a week, and when you checked yeah. out, you you didn't have one charge to your hotel room. You had Everybody several. Was taken care of, but oh, that's right. That was. Might I had a little MDF repair or something. Yeah. <laughs> Good times, brother. So, what what was it about Boston University? You know that. That you think was so important for you? I mean, you were. Let's face it, you could have gone to the BC Northeastern Harvard. You're in the hockey God's country when it comes to hockey powerhouses. Why BU and why did that fit you? It seemed like it fit you. It's it's an interesting story because I went to prep school after a year of high school. I wanted to go to University of New Hampshire. Yes, and I wanted to play football, hockey, and baseball because those are my sports that I played. Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, the hockey coach didn't think I was a Division One player, so I I had no school to go to. Basically, I put had all my eggs in one basket. So um, I was going to Merrimack College. They were a Division Two yeah. school. They weren't Division One. They were Division Two. But the hockey coach, you know, had seen me play in high school and really liked me. So I'm all set. I'm going to Merrimack. And in the summer, I didn't play hockey in the summer. I played baseball in the summer. And friend of mine called me and he said, uh, a bunch of guys went to Cape Cod for the weekend. Would you like to play? We get a summer league game. Mm -hmm. So I said, you need a player. I'll play. So I played in the game and it turns out the guy refereeing the game was a guy named Jack Parker. Mm -hmm. Jack Parker was the assistant coach at Boston university at the time. Yeah. And the game was over and Jack pulled me aside and asked me where I was going to school. I said, I'm going to Merrimack. And he said, well, we have a kid from Canada decided not to come and we have a scholarship available. Would you like to come to Boston university? Now, mm -hmm. uh, BU's coming off back-to-back -back national championships at the time. So I said, absolutely. You know, and, and this is the funny part. It was a full scholarship. It was $3,500. And now it's $72,000 or more. Yes. So I said, let me go home and talk to my dad. So I went home, told my dad the story. My dad said, what do you want to do? And I said, uh, I'm going to go there, Dad. I can, I can play there. So I go to Boston University, and the head coach didn't know me from Adam, knew nothing about me. And I was on the varsity center in the fourth line playing a couple of, you know, we played two or three games and I played a few shifts here and there. I had a goal and insist maybe. And the head coach got fired right around Christmas. Jack Parker became the head coach. So I went from centering the fourth line to playing left wing on the second line and led our team in goal scoring my freshman year. So that's how I ended up at Boston university. Uh, BC didn't recruit me. Northeastern didn't recruit me. I never could have got into Harvard, so I, I, I crossed that right off my list. Yeah, me but, too. You know, Jack Parker went on and coached 40 years at Boston University, so uh, I owe everything, you know, to Jack Parker because if I never played in the summer league game, I never would have gone to BU, and if I had never gone to BU, I probably wouldn't have had a chance to make the Olympic team. So um, it's funny how life works. I, I talk a lot of times, um, Morton, about opportunities. And we get opportunities in our life, and it's what you do with it. You know, I could have gone to that summer league game and just went through the motions. It's summer league. Who cares? But that's not the way I was brought up. If you're going to compete, you compete. And, um, you know, he clearly saw something in me that gave me a chance to go there. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Yeah, and you don't play in the NHA, but you do play uh, minor league hockey. You go to Toledo, to the Gold Diggers, for a couple of years. You actually went there in 1977, 78, 
the year I came to America as an exchange student, and you actually scored 30 goals uh, in that season. Um, that, so again, you knew you knew you could put the puck in the net. Yeah, that was that was never a problem for me. But again, that that's a, a sequence of events. Um, the New York Rangers had my rights, and mm-hmm. I went to camp with the New York Rangers, and they brought me in after camp and said, well, "Look, we have uh, too many players under contract, and our budget is whatever it was then. Uh, we're not going to sign any new players, but you can go to Toledo and play in Toledo." So I went to Toledo. Uh, and played as an amateur. I was not under NHL contract and uh, finished second in the team in scoring, was the, uh, a rookie of the year in the league. Yeah. And I was all set. I was going to sign with the New York Rangers. Well, John Ferguson was the general manager and he got fired. Fred Shero became the general manager of the New York Rangers. Fred Shero called my agent and said, we're not signing any of Fergie's guys. Mike's free to do what he wants to do. So I went back to Toledo, stayed in the amateur, with the hope of trying out and getting invited to try out for the Olympic team. So again, another sequence of events. If John Ferguson never got fired, I would have signed with the Rangers. Now, I don't know where my career would have gone, but I clearly wouldn't have been eligible to play on the Olympic team. So those are two moments in my life that changed my path. Trajectory. Yeah. Defining moments, as I alluded to a couple, you know, a little bit ago, defining moments that if you don't understand them, if you don't embrace them and really understand the significance of them and you don't, you don't, you stand on the train station, you don't get on the train, your life's different. That's right. Take me through the time when you learned you made the U S Olympic team and you learned, you, you know, there was three other guys from BU, by the way, that joined you. Yeah. What you know, was we, that moment I, like? I, well, I went to the tryout, um, 68 players tried out only 26 players were going to get selected. Um, I didn't know if I, you know, I had to play well at the tryout. I was a little worried because a Minnesota coach and a Boston guy and the rivalries between the East and the West wasn't very good. So but, set, uh, set up the, can you set up the, uh, the tryouts? How did, how did it work specifically? I'm well, very they, divided, interested in- they, they divided six, uh, 68 players into four teams okay. and it was an event called the national sports festival. So it was a big festival. There was an opening ceremonies. It was almost like an Olympic games, but it was all American athletes from different sports competing against each other. So divided us up into four teams. I played on a team called the Great Lakes team with okay. a couple of guys that I knew and most I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And we competed against each other over two weeks, like a regular Olympic tournament. And uh, Herb, Herb uh, sat in the stands, and obviously he was evaluating the players. Uh, I was fortunate that our team that I played on, we won the gold medal in the festival. I, I was actually the captain of that team and led our team in scoring at the festival. So I was one of 26 players selected. Check box, check box. Check, yes. We're checking some boxes right yes. here. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, the team was selected, and we trained for six months. Um, six players were going to get cut throughout the course of the training. We understood that. Only 20 were going to go, unlike today. I think today they bring 25 or 26 players to, to the Olympic Games. Oh, wow. Okay. But, um, you know, I was fortunate to be one of the 20, and uh, off, to, off to Lake Placid we went. So, like you said, check another box. The season's over, and the Olympic Games are now in front of us. Yeah, and you go in there, and I know you've told the story a million times, so we don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be long, but I do want to touch on it because it's, a, you know, the win in the semifinals against the Soviets has been mentioned as the greatest, one of the greatest games in sports history. And, of course, your goal was the greatest sports moment in the 20th century, I believe. Uh, it was... Um, you know, voted on by fans 
I mean, the, the people that really know, right? My relatives. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, your relatives and me included, buddy. Uh, I'll tell you, it was such an iconic moment, but it was much bigger than us winning gold. And you've talked about it a lot. You know, also a historical moment because at the time in America, uh, well, let's let's let me backtrack and then we'll get to the significance of it and big picture. Um, you, you've said that, yeah, you thought you belonged and we, we believed we could win. And you were, it was a team full of amateurs. You were the captain and you go through the tournament and here come the mighty Soviets. I think they've won five out of the last six, like in big tournaments, gold, you know. So they they were clearly expected to win, but there was 20 Americans that thought differently. And I love your story about the, the night before the game. So I, it didn't seem like a lot of pressure. You you went and hung out with your parents and your family, <laughs> had a couple of cold ones. How great is that? Mike? Yeah, we went. I had a state police officer drove me up to the campsite where my, my dad was staying uh, with my high school football coach and my cousin and some friends. Yeah. And uh, we picked up my mom who was staying with the other parents in downtown Lake Placid and went up there and sat at the campsite and had a couple of beers and relaxed. And the yeah. state trooper eventually took me back to the to the village. You know what? I didn't want to do anything different if I could. I didn't want to sit in my room and uh, in, no. in the trailer in Lake Placid and think about the game the next day. I wanted to be around family and friends and relax. And, and you know, you can't make it. And you've played in big games. You know what it's like. You can't make it too big. If you make it too big, you, then you're in trouble. I, I wanted to just look at this game as it, it was a hockey game. I, I know it's yeah. a good hockey game. But if, if you're too high, you're going to make mistakes. And if you're too low, you're going to get run over. So my mindset was just to go into that game prepared and ready to play and understand that um, we had a chance to win. And, you know, I always tell yeah. people, if you think you're going to lose, you probably will. Uh, <laughs> and we knew it was going to be hard. We knew that the game was going to be difficult. But isn't that why you play the game? And, you know, we played and we played extremely well and, you know, came out with a 4-3 to three victory. And a uh, big thing for me now, you know, is everybody talks about the Russian game, the Russian game. But if we don't beat Finland on Sunday, there's a chance we don't win a medal. So as, as great as the Soviet victory was, well, let's put it this way. If we don't beat Finland, you and I aren't having this conversation. Well, we're having the conversation, but you're silver medalists. Right. I don't know. We No, 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 no. If we lost, there was a chance we could have, have not even oh, won a right. medal. Not even won a medal. Yeah. Well, it was a point system then, unlike now. Oh, right, right, right. So if we lost, uh, let's say we could have won the bronze, but we wouldn't have got the silver. You had another game to go. Yeah, it could have been easily, you know, that's a very good point. And let me, uh, I'm going to reference it with something that we did in 99. It could have been buzzkill big time. You know, we were in 99, I was with the Falcons. We were playing the NFC championship game. We won it on a kick in overtime. And then we had two weeks later, we had to go play a Super Bowl against John Elway and the Denver Broncos. We got, we got spanked, I think, because all the gas in the tank was gone in that NFC championship game. And it was kind of a – the miracle on ice really happened twice the way I look at it. It happened against the Soviets, but it also happened against Finland that you guys were able to recruit enough energy and enough um, sense of, man, th this is not over yet. Right. We got yeah. to replicate. We got to do this again, Mike. Yeah. But, you know, that type of team that we had uh, after we beat Finland, if there was another game to play, we would have been ready to play. Uh, these guys <laughs> just that. love – they love playing. They they love be, we love being together. We love the the the, the competition. We we love the challenge. Yeah. Um, so you know it did end that way, but 
I know the mindset of our hockey team. We, we, we were ready to play if there was another game to be played. I mentioned in the intro uh, what Herb Brooks said before uh, the game or at some point. I, I don't know if it was before the game, but it, it certainly fit something you would do in a speech right before a big game. Anybody else but Herb Brooks could, could coach that team? Could you imagine anybody else in his role? No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I would have loved to say Jack Parker because Jack at the time was the number one coach in, in, as, as well as Herb in college hockey. Okay. Uh, but they were two different coaches. Their styles were different. We wouldn't have played the same way. So I, I don't know. I know her, I know one thing about Jack. He was an incredible motivator. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we'll never know, but clearly the right man was coaching that team. He just seemed to, you know, one of the things he did, I read, uh, was it wasn't like he was building the Soviets up to be this great powerhouse. He was actually bringing, uh, telling they were overconfident and all right. the flaws they had and how to beat them, not how to hang with them, right. but how to beat them. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah, we 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 did never, you know, the funny thing is we never talked about what the Soviets could do. We talked about what we could do. Yeah. Like so that. many times during the games, all the games, Herb stressed, play your game, play your game. We weren't worried. When, when Tretiak got pulled and they put in Michigan, we weren't like, oh, my God, Tretiak's out. No, we got to keep doing the things that we need to do. Yeah. And throughout the game against the Soviets and against Finland, play your game, play your game. Let them worry about us. We're not going to worry about them. And then, you know, when we lost to the Soviets right before the Olympics, 10 to 3 in Madison Square Garden, that game was never talked about. It was never brought up. He never dwelled mm -hmm. on negative. He always stressed positive. And when you have a young team like we were, I think, I think our team today would be the youngest team in college hockey. Um, I think our average age was 21 and a half or 22. Uh, this year's Olympic team had five 19-year-old players, but they had some couple of 29, 30-year-old players, so they were a little older. But, but I think that the fact that he used our youth to our advantage and he kept positive. And, and when you when you got a young team, you can't dwell on negative stuff because they'll go down south real quick. Oh, yeah. So he always pressed the positive buttons, and that motivates you to keep going and keep going. And I think that's a great talent to have as a coach. Mike, what did you guys do different against the Soviets the second time around in Lake Placid that you didn't do in the loss in Madison Square Garden? You were the captain. We were way more confident the second time. Uh, the first time we were losing six to nothing after the first period, so we basically stood around and watched them. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it was the last game of a long season. I think a lot of players had one foot in the locker room and one foot in Lake Placid. Uh, um, so I don't think our mindset was the same. And I'm, I'm not going to say this. If we played them after the Olympics again, we might lose 10 to three. I don't know. But I do know the game that we had to win, the game that we had to play, we won. And that's all that matters. And you won it on on the stick of a, of a Boston kid uh, who I'm talking to right now with 10 minutes and change left in the third period and the game tied. and. Um, You have the puck, and you got a couple of teammates. You were going to use one of the Russians as a shield, maybe, or one of your teammates as a shield, and you were going left, and then take me through the play. Well, it's a play that kind of came out of nowhere, um, and ironically, I scored the exact same goal in the 10-3 to loss to the Russians because I remember when I finally saw the highlights of the game, I heard Ken Dryden say, Ruzioni, who scored the same goal uh, in Madison Square Garden in the same spot. So it was a play that, you know, hockey's not a game where you have set plays all the time. They, they just had kind of happen and develop. You know, the puck came to me and, and there was a defenseman in front of me. And uh, I'm not that smart a guy, but a lot of things can go through your mind in a short period of time. And 
Uh, I, if the defenseman stayed, I was going to use him as a screen and shoot. If he came at me, uh, Billy Baker, Davy Christian, and John Harrington were off to my left. I was maybe going to mm-hmm. slide it over to them. Uh, he stayed, and I shot. And when it left my stick, I thought it was in, but I wasn't sure because the defenseman was in front of me. And then I saw the crowd jump up behind, and then I realized that it went in and gave us the lead. And pandemonium, all hell broke loose. I remember watching that whole scene. Um, I It was mostly pointing to me the handshakes with the Russians, too, because you could tell they they knew that, it, you know, they were beat. Yeah. And how sweet it must have been for you guys to walk through that line and shake yeah. those hands and then get to, get to your teammates. I mean, come on. Yeah, there was, they, they, they were on. kind of in disbelief. Some of the spaces were just like, what just happened? Uh, in the headlights? I was yeah. looking right through them, though. I was, I was hearing the crowd going crazy. I was trying yeah. to find a teammate to hug. Uh, yeah. It was like, you know, let's get through this line as quick as possible. Can you uh, help me understand the debrief, the uh, the post game, and what you guys what wh- what did you do? Where did you uh, go? I got did grabbed. You- I got grabbed by ABC. Jim Craig and I got grabbed to do interviews because during the Olympics we weren't allowed to talk to the media, so we didn't know what was being written or what was being said. Uh, they brought us downtown Lake Placid, interviewed Jim and I, and with my parents. My uh, Jim's dad was there. My mom and dad were there, mm-hmm. and the rest of the players went back to the house where the parents were staying. Mm-hmm. and watch the game on television because the game was taped late. So we played at five, but they showed it at eight o'clock. Ah. Well, all the guys went back to the where the parents were and probably had a few beers and uh, um, enjoyed the victory. But, you know, this is a story nobody knows. We get up Saturday morning for practice and uh, we're in the locker room and we're signing autographs and sticks and pictures and stuff. And Herb comes in and just flips out, almost flips the table up screaming and yelling at us. And then we had probably one of the hardest practices we had all year. And I'm thinking, why is he so pissed off? You know, we just beat the Soviets. But what he had to do was get that energy out of us and get that emotion out of us and bring us back down. Uh, And he skated our butts off Saturday. It it was like, Herb, we're ready to play tomorrow. We don't have to go through this. Um, But he was prepared for the next game. And this is how he felt we had to get ready for it. And he was right. And then we went out and, and, like I said, and beat Finland and won the whole thing. Yeah, there might have been a few drinks on the ice that uh, practice, li- <laughs> yeah. literally in a form of sweat equity. Yes. Uh, you yes. know what I mean, Mike? I hear well, you. So when did you uh, – you played the final a couple days later, like Monday? or We played. We beat, we beat the Soviets on Friday and played the Finland on Sunday. Sunday night, yeah. yeah. And then Monday we went to the White House. Uh, and then Monday afternoon, Monday night, I was sitting in my living room at home, and my mother was making me dinner. And I was like, what the hell just happened? Wasn't I just in Lake Placid? And I got up, slept in my bed that night and got up Tuesday morning and went to New York to do Good Morning America and do some TV shows. But it was really funny. You go from a gold medal back to my own my own bed. My brother's sleeping next to me. My sisters are in the other room. Surreal. Cousins upstairs. And I'm like, what just took place? Now I got to think about my presidential history. Who was the president in 1980? Jimmy Carter. What did, do you remember what President Carter said to you? Because I'm sure he, he was speaking he to the us, captain. He called, he called our Olympic athletes heroes and that he was all very proud of us. That's beautiful. Well, we all were proud of you. And then the movie comes, The Miracle. Um, and I watched it. it was, I thought it was good. You know, was it weird to see you being portrayed by 
by an actor and how involved were you and how involved were you in the technical aspects and the, the accuracy of it? I wasn't involved at all in the movie. Neither, not, none of my teammates were involved. Hmm. I, I kind of tell people it's the Herb Brooks story and we're a part of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, um, you know, like Herb's wife's in the movie and I, I didn't know what she looked like. I don't think I saw her once that year. Um, but you know, I thought the movie was done well. I thought Kurt Russell was amazing as Herb. Yeah. Uh, HBO did the documentary on our team, which I thought was a little better than the movie. Yes. But, um, but for the most part, it's nice. And the kid who did me did, did a nice job. I've only, I haven't seen the movie in quite a few years, but I saw it a lot after the Olympics because I traveled around the country to uh, speaking and well for Boston University, we did some, um, um, you know, go to alumni events at a theater, and I would come and talk about the team, and they'd show the movie and our. Oh, good idea! Yeah, you know, alumni would go to it. So, but I, I haven't seen it in a while, and uh, I think my grandson just might have started to watch it the other day. My daughter told me he watched a little of it, but he hasn't seen it either. So I'm, I'm dreading the day they watch it because I'm going to have to watch it too. <laughs> you know what? Some things you just got to do for the grandkids. You <laughs> chalk that one up to, you know, it's That's right. sweat, more sweat equity, brother. Yeah. yeah. You, you opted for Korean broadcasting. And I know you said at the time, Hey, I can't, can't do anything more in, in hockey. So let me uh, sit in the booth and, you never look back. How, how enjoy, you, I'm sure you're glad making that decision in retrospect, yeah, right? It, and uh, peace of peace of mind's important. You know, if I was younger, I would have played. Sure. Um, I just thought that 25 years old, it was time to move on and do something else. It's not, you know, nobody said here's 10 million. <laughs> I think I I'll you. play. <laughs> uh, so I, did, I got into broadcasting for a few years, and then my kids got older, and it was time to get out of that because of the travel and. I took a job at Boston University. Like I said, I've been there 28 years in development, and I uh, continue to do a lot of motivational speaking. And yeah, as you uh, as you do as well as I get to play a lot of nice fun golf, charity yeah. around the country. I I have my own charitable foundation where I raise money to help people in my community as as well as other people. So it's it's yeah, been you do a great job, nice Mike. Feeling. It's been a nice 40 42 year run so far, and hopefully this will continue for a little Keep while longer. Keep rolling. Uh, let me talk to you a little. Keep rolling, brother. You're doing a great job, man. Uh, what do you think about the state of today's? You kind of touched on. I mean, the game's in good shape, right? Compared to the style you grew up, it's a little different. I mean, the big bad Bruins of the 1970s, right? right. With Bobby Orr and, and Terry O'Reilly, and uh, it's a much less physical game now, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's it's still, it's still a little physical, but I mean, yeah. The thing about today, the skill level of players, they are so good. It's yeah. It's amazing how talented they are and how big, how big they are. They're six four, six five. Chara, Chara's six nine. Mario Lemieux was six six. Beast. You never saw anybody that size when I played. If you did, they couldn't skate. Yeah. So this and and the influx of the Europeans with the Russians, the Swedes, the Finns, the Czechs, the Sw Switzerland, the Germans that come over now and play that weren't weren't even around in those years. So uh, the the skill level is in, is is absolutely incredible and. I said this the other day to someone in sports, some positions have changed. Um, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. linebackers are bigger and faster uh, running backs, you know, are what they are cornerback quarterbacks, but no position has changed in sport more than goaltending goalies today are so far superior than they ever were. They're bigger. Some goalies are six, seven, six, eight. There's no room to shoot. Yeah. Take the whole net up. Yes. And, and, and I think in any position, in any sport, basketball, baseball, what, whatever goaltending is hockey has been the biggest change in any sport. And also now fourth lines, you know, teams that have four, they play four lines. 
Years ago, the fourth line, that was your tough line. That was your fighting line. They were going to go out there and send a message. Not anymore. The fourth line now is a skilled line that can go out and play. Some teams have enforcers, but their enforcers are guys that can play, that can score 30 goals, 25 goals, that are that are solid players. Where Again, a long time ago, some of the enforcers, and that was their role, and, and that, that was good for them. That's how they got to play. Um, but you don't have that anymore. And you, you'll see a fight once in a while because of the game is so physical and then, you know, <laughs> anger sets in at some point. So rather than slash somebody with a stick, you drop your gloves and you you take care of it that way. But you don't see it often, uh, but the skill level is incredible. Yeah, I agree. If, if you, Mike, if you were commissioner, NHL commissioner today, is there anything, is there one particular thing that irks you that you would change? I, I would like to see the rinks go a little wider. Okay. Uh, not quite European size. Another five feet, maybe. I, I just think, I just think there's no room in the ice for these players. They're they're so big, um, you know. It's almost like you know the paint and basketball. You know, yeah. you can't go in. I mean, they, they, they're huge. So I I would like to see the rinks get a little bigger. Hmm. But if you do that, you take out seats, and that's revenue. So <laughs> how do you deal with that? But I, that that would be my choice to see the rinks go just a little wider. Talk to me about the local B, uh, BU kid, Jack um, Eichel. Eichel. Yeah, yeah. He played, I watched a little of the game last night. He played last night, his first game back. Yeah. Uh, you can see he's, he, you know, he's, you can see he hasn't played in a while, but he's got great skill. He's, again, he's one of the top American players in the world or in the United States. I, I remember when he came to Boston University, someone said to me, you guys got Jack Eichel. And I'm like, yeah, another great player coming to BU. We have a lot of great players at BU. And I'm like, okay, here we go. So I sometimes go to practice and I'm sitting on the bench and all of a sudden this kid just flies by me. And I went, oh my God, that's Eichel. And he was a pleasure to watch play. And uh, hence, you know, second round pick or second pick in the draft after after McDavid. But I hope he comes back healthy because he's a talented kid and he's, he's, a, he's a good kid and could have a great future. Maybe this uh, change of scenery exactly what that kid needed to reach his full potential as yeah, a pro. He's playing, he's playing an awfully good team right now too. Mm -hmm. I mean, Buffalo yeah. There, there weren't a lot of great players in Buffalo, not, yeah. you know, be disrespectful to the players, but no, I got you. clearly the talent in Vegas is, is a lot better. Mike, the original uh, Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg Jets uh, moved to Arizona in 96 and have never been able to gain, a, you know, gain a real fan base in that market. Is it time to call that experiments a loss and move that team to a market that can maybe uh, Quebec city, maybe Milwaukee, yeah. Kansas city, Houston, Portland. You, you with me? I yeah. Mean I, you know what? Part of the problem they had in Arizona and I've only been there a couple of times for hockey games. The, the rink was Glendale was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's just a, a pain in the neck. They should have put the rink downtown. Sure. Uh, I know now they're going to, you know, play at the university. I think it's Arizona state or university, of Arizona. And they're going to, they're going to play in a 5,000 seat college hockey rink. I don't know if that's good for the game. Clearly, you know, how can you have 5,000 people? You know, Boston University's got 6,000 seats in our building. Uh, so they're going to play in a college hockey facility, and I'm sure they'll renovate it. They'll put nice locker rooms in there, but uh, they need a facility. They need a, you know, a 12,000 to 15,000 seat, 10,000 seat arena. And if they're not going to do it, then you're right. Maybe Quebec City. Would, I know they would love to have a hockey team in Quebec. So uh, I'd go. I've never been, and that, that yeah. seems perfect. Yeah, so I, I think that's something the NHL has got to consider at some point. I'd like I'll, to see him go back to Atlanta. Yeah, I miss the Thrashers. Yeah. Who went to Winnipeg. Right. <laughs> I mean, we had a great time with the Atlanta Thrashers, but uh, 
Conor McDavid, how great is he with the Oilers? And how does he stack up with the greats like Gretzky and Lemieux? Well, I think time will tell. But clearly, he's the the, the best player in the National Hockey League right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you watch his highlight goals. I mean, he's unbelievable. The problem, you don't get to see him that often because he's up in Edmonton. Uh, you know, imagine if he played in New York or Chicago or, you know, one of the one of the, uh, Toronto or Montreal. Not that Edmonton's a bad city, but you don't get mm-hmm. to see the Edmonton Oilers play that often. Um, but I, 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 you know, I watch his highlight goals and he's, he's scary good. I know you're Boston guys, so I got to ask you about the Bruins. How close are they to Stanley Cup? They got some goaltending issues. Yeah, they got goaltending issues and, and, you know, they hate to say it, but they got an age issue right now. You know, I think they're running, the clock's running pretty, pretty quick. I mean, Patrice Bergeron to me has been the best kept secret of any athlete that has ever played sports in Boston. Uh, You know, we talk about Tom Brady and Bill Russell and, Ted Williams and play, you know, man, we can go on and on with great players there, but he's Bobby Orr and he's just flown under the radar because he's pretty quiet. Uh, he just goes about his job. I think he's an incredible, incredible player, but he, you know, he's 35. He got another head injury the other day. Uh, you know, Marchant's a great player. He's 34. I mean, Parsonak's going to be there for a while. Uh, Brandon Carlo, M- McAvoy, uh, they got some good young forwards. Um, but this is their, this is their window. I just don't know with goaltending and, and Swayman played really well. I watched him play the other night. Can they beat Tampa uh, with, with Tampa's lineup and Tampa's, I mean, Tampa's not only got a great team, they probably got the best goalie in the league. And when it comes to playoffs, my college hockey coach always said, don't call it hockey, call it goalie. And uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay has that. And then, you know, Vegas is solid. Colorado solid. Um you know, it's it, but you know, you never know what's going to happen in, in in a tournament. You get an injury, some player goes down. But you know, I think the Bruins are going to, you know, they'll be there. They're, they're going to be hard to play against because they always are. But yeah. I'm not sure if they get the horses right now. Yeah. How happy were you to see the BU, uh, your team, hoisting the Beanpot Trophy yeah. for the first time since 2015? Yeah, you know, we used to call it the BU Pot because you know, if you look at the history of it, we've won it more than more than anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a great college hockey game. Matter of fact, one of the best college hockey games I've seen in a while. Yeah. Um, and it was a great game. You know, BU won one to nothing. Northeastern's an awfully good team. We've won 11 of our last 12 or 12 of our last 13. Where early in the year, we were banged up a little. We, we weren't healthy, but some of our players are back. Our goalie um, was the goalie on the U.S. Olympic team. He'll be back in college. He'll be back on campus uh, probably next week and, and playing for us, which will help us. Although our backup played really well when you know, two or three games that, that Comesso was in uh, in Beijing. But uh, I'm, I'm excited for the team. And to me, it was a great win for our coach. Um, he's been under, O'Connell. Of, been under a lot of pressure. You know, when, first of all, David Quinn replaced Jack Parker. Yeah. And David Quinn big, went to big the Big shoes, big shoes to fill, yes. man. Yeah, and Albie, you know, Albie played under Jack Parker. Uh, Albie's been coaching a long time and is an assistant at Harvard and assistant at Northeastern. And I think, you know, the last couple of years, the team has struggled. And a lot of that was covid but I think a lot of alumni, were, you know, wondering, uh, can this guy, is he the right guy for the job? And I think he is, but he, he needed to do something to kind of convince even me and, 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 and a lot of the former players. But when you win a bean pot and you win the way that we're, they're winning right now, yeah. uh, it, it's a feather in his cap and probably a real big confidence boost for him when you're, you're finally a head coach and your first two years you struggle. I'm sure you question your abilities and as a, as a coach, but uh, I'm happy for him. He's a, he's a good ga- good guy and a, and a good man. Who's the best player in BU history? I mean, you can say yourself. It's okay. <laughs> well, you know, we've had so many great players. I mean, Eichel was only there for a year. 
uh, Trevor Zegers, who's playing in the NHL right now and doing pretty well, Clayton Keller, uh, Charlie McAvoy. These are guys that are in the NHL now. I mean, Eichel only played one year at Boston University. Uh, Ricky Mahar, who was my roommate, is, in my opinion, the best four-year player that played there. Uh, he went on to the National Hockey League. He, he won the Selkie Trophy. Uh, he was a three-time All-American. Then I think of a kid like Chris Drury, who won the Hobie Baker, um, won Rookie of the Year, won a Stanley Cup. Uh, he put up great numbers at Boston University. Then you, you can look at Keith Kachuk, Tony Amonti, um, you know, Mike Greer. I mean, I, th there's a lot. I think BU has the most players in the NHL now than, than any college team are pretty pretty close. So we, we've, we've had some great players over the years, and I, we kind of hang our hat not only on – you know, you, it's nice to have great players, but you need four-year players. You need guys that are going to do their, you know, you need third, fourth-line players. You can't win with stars all the time. So when you when you have a blend of players, I mean, the team that won the national championship quite a few years ago, I think had seven NHL players on it. Mm. That's a pretty good roster to have. That's nice uh, depth, if you will. Right. <laughs> hey, a quick name game, and I know we've talked about a couple of these guys, but a, a word or a sentence that comes to mind? When I say Herb Brooks, you say? Herb Brooks. One word? For a sentence. Um, motivator. Jack Parker. Intense. Jim Craig. Confident. Dave Silk. Talented. Doc Emmerich. The best. Oh my goodness, his voice, right? Yes. He could How make difficult is it? You comment you've you've commentated on the analysis side, but the yes. play by play seems so difficult in yes. hockey. He he to could follow make who's because the puck's just going, you know? And, and get the names of the players, especially when the Europeans came over. How? But Doc Doc could make a snail race exciting. I'm and it's coming on the outside with the trail. <laughs> unbelievable. He was unbelievable, man. Jack O'Callahan. Unique. And the guy that coined the phrase, do you believe in miracles? Yes. Al Michaels. Uh, brilliant. Yeah. It was a great call, man. He made a – what a call. What great timing. Speaking of the timing, uh, we're done, brother. Uh, okay. And you, you had great timing. You had great timing on your goal in your life. And it's born out of uh, a blue-collar attitude, man. Right in Winthrop, right in the Boston area, comes from your dad, your mom, your grandparents, and your family. And uh, can't be more proud to call you a friend, Mike. Martin, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to chat with you. And uh, if I ever get down there, we'll tee it up. I'm sure you play golf with Kevin Butler once in a while. So Yeah, yeah, buddy. I, he gives me strokes, man. It's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Martin, you stay safe. I appreciate your time, man. Be safe. You Thanks for your time. All okay. Right.